Pollsters were wrong once again. The projected and predicted red Republican wave in the midterm elections failed to materialize. But racism and voter suppression showed themselves once again to be a hallmark of a tortured form of democracy here in the United States. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to this week's episode of The Socialist Program. I'm your host, Brian Becker. Today, we're talking with author, investigative journalist, and filmmaker, Greg Pallast. Greg has a new film about voter suppression called Vigilante. Greg Pallast, welcome. Glad to be with you. Thank you so much. The red wave that all the pollsters told us was coming yesterday did not materialize. But I wonder what the impact would have been on these midterm elections or the past elections or the future elections if, in fact, voter suppression, or as you say, because you said you don't like to use the expression voter suppression, you can explain why. I thought that was well put. If it wasn't for voter suppression, what would these elections actually look like? Let's just talk about the dimension, the magnitude of voter theft and also a little bit about what you discovered in your movie, Vigilante. Let's just talk about the scope of this. I'm here in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and they are about to have a runoff because uh, Reverend the Senator Warnock missed a clean reelection by just a few thousand votes out of three some million votes in Georgia. And if it weren't for what we politely call vote suppression, <laughs> there would be no runoff. There's not even a uh, question. We're talking a couple thousand votes. We have in Georgia, are you ready for this number? Between the 2020 election and uh, the presidential election in which the Democrats swept Georgia, you know, which is a shock to a lot of people because you think of it as redneck red. It ain't. You, know, you have progressive Atlanta, you have a large minority population, et cetera. In this election, since the last election to this one, we've had a new bill passed here in Georgia. And by the way, I'm not, in, I'm not usually in Georgia just for this uh, reporting. What we would have in the last election was 1.2 million mailed-in ballots. That's mail-ins and ballots put in drop boxes. This year, you've gone from 1.2 million mail-in ballots to 0.2 million mail-in ballots. That's an 83% drop. One million ballots, bang, gone. Now, they didn't just burn them or, or throw them in the ocean. What they did was they passed this bill that just made it all but illegal to cast a mail-in or walk-up drop box vote. For example, in the last election, you had, you know, like most drop boxes, they're outside a government building. So people who work, you know, from nine to five can just drop off their vote. Also, it reduced the lines enormously because you could just drop your ballot off. You didn't have to wait in line. So this time they passed this law, which basically said drop boxes could not be outside government buildings. Imagine if you had a rule that you had to go into a post office during post office hours to drop off your ballot. And they reduced the number of ballot boxes. 
Now, not everywhere. They actually increased the number of drop boxes in counties by saying that there had to be a minimum of the 159 counties. You have to have a have to have drop boxes in every county. That meant that in rural counties, they actually increased the drop box presence. And when I say rural, that means basically white Republicans. And in urban areas, they limited the drop boxes to one for every 100,000 voters. Like that? One for 100,000 voters. I imagine if the post office tried to pull that stunt. The result is that there were about 107 drop boxes in the four black counties of Atlanta, around Atlanta. And now it's dropped to 25. But again, before the drop boxes were outside, there were, by the way, surveillance cameras on it, so there could be no monkey business. And we have the tapes of that. So you end up with this massive drop, a million ballots. So you make balloting and voting all but illegal by mail or drop box. Of course, you're going to have, a, when you reduce the ability of black people in urban areas to vote, you're going to have fewer votes. If it weren't for that, there would be no runoff. So that's just one race. But we see this all over the country. We have another issue, which, you know, you, you have clips from my film, Vigilante, Georgia's vote suppression hitman, in which Georgia allows anyone in Georgia, any uh, citizen in Georgia, can challenge the vote of another citizen. But here's the trick. Under SB202, which was assigned by Brian Kemp, the Republican governor last year who ran for re-election this time, you can challenge an unlimited number of voters. And when I say unlimited, wow, I mean unlimited. You'll see, for example, in my film, I confront one GOP operative who's personally personally challenged 32,000 people. So many people, she couldn't even write all their names out, so she handed a thumb drive into her county. 32,000 people blocked. In Muskogee County, the chairman of the Republican Party in Columbus, Georgia, which is Muskogee, in Columbus, Georgia, he personally challenged 4,000 voters. Now, hey, listen, if they're illegal voters, you don't want them voting. I agree with that. In fact, you should arrest them and throw away the key, in my opinion. But were these 4,000 voters in, in Muskogee illegal voters? Well, I met with them. We called hundreds, literally. The Palace Investigative Fund, we called hundreds of these voters. And we met with some of them. And one of them that we met with in California was Major Gamaliel Turner. Major Turner is the Pentagon's expert on warfare of the future. He was, while we caught up with him, he is redesigning a, an anti-tank weapon for Ukraine. And they challenged his vote. Why? Because they said, oh, this guy doesn't live in Georgia. He's in California. Well, he's in California because he's a soldier assigned to a military base. A couple days ago, just before the day before the election, there was one soldier challenged. Again, Fort Hood. This is in the county of Forsyth. And a soldier assigned to Fort Hood in Beaumont, Texas. But he's a Georgian. So he goes where the commander in chief tells him. They said, no. He's not a Georgian. And you know what the evidence was? This, I hope this makes you sick. I hope it churns your stomach. They were looking at these soldiers' Facebook pages, and their evidence that they presented to the county that this guy no longer lives in Georgia is that he now has a Hispanic girlfriend. They, they submitted her photo. I can't make this up off her Facebook page. So they submitted a, soldier, a Georgia soldier's photo of his Hispanic girlfriend from a Facebook page and said, well, see, he's got a girlfriend in, in Texas, so he obviously is not a Georgian anymore. And, you know, she's Hispanic. 
Now, if these are just singular cases, I'd say, well, okay, that's a freak occurrence, but it's not a freak occurrence. One challenge, 32,000, one challenge, 4,000. At gregpalace.com, you can actually find a link to check if you've been challenged, if you're a Georgian. Let me jump in. I want to play successively two different clips from your movie, Vigilante. Again, we're telling people how they can access that important movie. Martin Sheen was a collaborator. He was the executive producer. He has an introductory piece there. Very, very important video. Let's play the the first clip and then let's go straight to the second clip because it covers some of the same territory that you're explaining. Then we'll come back and get your comments. Law is called SB202 and it's 98 pages of breathtaking obstacles to voting. I mean, they've made mail-in voting nearly illegal. They've shuttered ballot drop boxes. They've cut Sunday black souls to the polls day. And if you hand someone a slice of pizza or a bottle of water while they're waiting in line for five hours, you'll be charged with a felony crime. I'm not kidding. In Georgia, pizza is an act of civil disobedience. I've been covering vote suppression for The Guardian, BBC, Rolling Stone for two decades, and I've never seen anything like it. But what shook me up? I'm going through the bill, and I see a landmine planted in it. It's barely noticeable. For the first time in Georgia history, any voter can challenge an unlimited number of other voters and stop their ballots from being counted. And when I say unlimited, I mean unlimited. Our team contacted all 159 counties in Georgia. Muskogee County tells us 4,000 voters were challenged. In Cobb County, it was 48,000 voters challenged. Did President Trump really lose the state of Georgia? No. Tell me why. Why do you think that? Because I know for sure uh-huh. that voters have voted here and do not live here. I, I got to give you this. Um, this is, do you know this woman? That, do, you, do you recognize that woman? Um, not offhand. You don't recognize her? No, but do you, I, do you rec- if, if they were taking pictures with me with them, I mean... <laughs> I, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm not going to blame you if you took a picture with her. She's a very nice person. I don't know. Uh, I don't, her name is Tamara Horn. Do you know Tamara? You don't know any Tamara? I don't. The name's not familiar. You're absolutely certain you don't. I don't. Tamara. You never spoke to her? No. No. What, what about this guy and his wife on his honeymoon? See, there he is, just so the camera could see that. He's on his honeymoon. But do you recognize that man? Mm, no. His name, interesting name. His name is Storm Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose he was on the list. Yeah. Did you, did you ever speak to Storm Saul? No. I told you already. I did not speak in, to the 32,000 people. Okay. I can't even follow up on my own people that are calling all the time. So you never call them, but you challenge the right to vote? Um, I'd have to go back and look at the list. Greg Palace, that's just a little snippet. I, I really want to encourage our audience to, to see the entire film. But this woman, you show her the names of these two individuals. She challenged them. You say, do you know them? She says, no. Did you call them? No. No recollection of them? No. And yet you challenge them. What does it mean to be challenged? Like, what happens to the challenged person? How do they actually get to vote then? Do they have to prove that they're eligible? Is the burden shift to them? Yes. In fact, if you see the film, I actually go to one of the people that they've challenged, several people, but one of the people, again, I went to the military base of Gamaliel Turner and he was waiting for his absentee ballot. And he said, where's my absentee ballot? He called Columbus, Georgia and he said, Mr. Turner, you have been challenged. 
says, well, what does that mean? He says, well, we can't send you a ballot or we, and if we send you one, we can't count it. Oh, but he said, all you have to do is come in and prove that you are a citizen of the United States, prove that you are a resident of Georgia and, and we'll uh, count your ballot. And he says, I'm in a military base. I'm 2,600 miles away. It's three days before an election. You're asking, telling me that all I have to do is go 2,600 miles to prove that I'm a citizen? I'm in uniform, okay? And he said, that's a, that's a heck of a poll tax to have to go all that distance to get my vote counted. He says, you talk to fools like that. And by the way, I'm not a fool. And that's what they have to do. They literally have to go into a court-like hearing. And by the way, you are guilty until you're proven innocent. That is, they will not count your ballot. Anyone could just say, huh, I don't like this guy's, well, I don't like the color of his skin, but you have to say, oh, I, I don't think he's a Georgia resident. And then they have to prove that they are citizens of America, just like that soldier at Fort Hood. There was no way that they were going to count his ballot yesterday. He's at Fort Hood, Texas. He would actually literally have to go in and say, I am who I am, an American citizen. I live here in Georgia. Now, the major says, that means a, ma a poll tax. A fortune. He actually got his ballot back because, well, they picked on the wrong guy. He was a, he's a real tough warrior. His father was one of the, the Reverend Harold Turner is a legend in Georgia. He is the co-founder of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Martin Luther King and Reverend Ralph Abernathy. They picked on a major civil rights icon. And so he fought. He actually, unfortunately, he had to hire lawyers from Washington to go to federal court and get his vote back, get his ballot counted. So yeah, it's murder. So, and again, the flimsiest of excuses, finding your a Hispanic girlfriend in Texas on your Facebook page, it's actually kind of creepy and ugly, and it's absolutely racist. Absolutely. Greg, since the beginning of 2021, after the last presidential election and congressional election, Lawmakers have passed at least 42 restrictive voting laws in 21 states. Among those laws, 33 contain at least one restrictive provision that was in effect for the midterm elections yesterday. Those states include Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, Wyoming. We're talking about a big part of the country where at this moment and in the last few years, and especially since the Supreme Court Shelby decision in 2013, and as you point out in your movie, especially since Citizens United, the Republican Party, the right wing especially in the United States, understands that the demographics in the United States, where 83% of the population lives in an urban area that's not prone to support a right-wing program, that they really can't win elections. They only won at the federal level the 2004 election. Since 1988, the Republicans have only won the popular vote one time. So you can see that there is a massive operation designed to negate basic democratic rights in order to push this right-wing program through. I mean, you've been on the trail here on this question for many, many years. I mean, you've been an investigative journalist about corporate crime, about election fraud, election suppression. 
Voter purging is a, is a method, is a technique of, of elections theft. I mean, you've been looking at this. Let's just talk big picture about the trend. It seems to us here on our program that the right wing has come to the realization that they cannot prevail under the current system. And so as a consequence, they're actually changing in many, many draconian ways. And sadly, in ways that are kind of quiet, people don't really get it. They don't really see it. It's almost a cliche about voter suppression. People don't really get the dimension of it, but it's considered existential by the right wing. So let's just talk in your own sort of career in this, how you see the trajectory or what you've seen with the trajectory in the last few years. It's been ugly. I I started doing these investigations for The Guardian and BBC Television back in 2000 when George W. Bush was running against Al Gore. If you remember, he became president of the United States officially by just 537 votes, not 537 electoral votes, 537 votes, single ballots in the state of Florida after losing the national popular vote. But I discovered when I was at the, the Guardian that 58,000 people were wiped off the voter rolls in Florida, overwhelmingly black voters. Now, remember, Bush became president by 500 votes, but his brother, the governor, removed 58,000 voters on the grounds that they were felons who at the time were not legally allowed to vote in Florida. And I went through that list for The Guardian, BBC, then later Salon, and found out that exactly zero, zero were illegal ex-con voters. Zero. Their only crime was voting while black. And that's what chose our president. But instead of being ashamed, when I busted the story, which almost was impossible to get into the U.S., in fact, the only way I got into the New York Times is Paul Krugman put it in his column and Bob Herbert, an African-American columnist, put it in his column. But the New York Times didn't cover it till two years later. And instead of being ashamed of what they did, it succeeded. Bush was inaugurated. Bush W. was inaugurated. And from that point on, the lid was off, especially because the Supreme Court blessed it in Bush v. Gore. And now at the core of it, just so you understand, is computerization of the voter rolls, which began in 2000 with Florida. Florida was the very first state in America to computerize and centralize their voter rolls. The response to make sure that this game would expand and continue was that they passed a law called the Help America Vote Act. And believe me, when George Bush tells you he's going to help you vote, I think you ought to be a little cautious, but the Democrats weren't. Believe it or not, the Democrats actually supported this Jim Crow operation called the Help America Vote Act. By the way, there's no laws. No one passes a law that says, don't let black people vote law. Don't let Hispanics vote law. They give it nice names like Help America Vote that's what they do. And so in this Help America Vote Act, it actually required every state to computerize their voter rolls, which meant that you could through like we just saw the vigilante voter challenge in Georgia, which may cost the Democrats the Warnock's seat. And because with a push of a button, you can challenge the registrations or eliminate the registrations of thousands and thousands of voters like that at a crack. And it's almost unreported in the U.S. In fact, right now, it's almost impossible to report it. I'm on your show. Believe me, you're not going to see it on a network show. And I'll tell you why. Because we now have this 
we've got this crazy idea that if you mention that anything is wrong with American voting, well, then you're a Trumpite, Frico, January 6th insurrectionist, crazy person. So what I'm telling you is that it's gotten worse since 2000. Now, understand America, over time, we've had an expansion of democratic rights, everything from, you know, obviously the women's vote in 1919, allowing Americans' indigenous population to vote in about 1924. Black women got the vote in 1965. So there's been a general expansion, but now there's a general contraction away from the right to vote because, and it's not discussed, it's hidden. And then when it is discussed, we can use that term as, as you are correct. I hate the term vote suppression. And I'll tell you why. When someone steals your car, do you say, my car has been suppressed? No, (laughs) your car hasn't been suppressed. It's been stolen. Now, it's very dangerous to even say the word stolen because if you want to put this on YouTube, the robots will take it down so that we can't even have a discussion anymore in America. It's considered un-American. You know, we had the situation where Joe Biden undercut Stacey Abrams in this current race this week by making a speech saying, don't vote for anyone who won't accept the results of an election which is a slam, a pretty clear slam at Stacey Abrams. So you have a Democratic president who tells Democrats, don't raise the issue of racial vote suppression. Of course, it's not incidental that he's a white male. Let me just go back and have you help those listening or watching this show understand also the dimension of other decisions taken, especially by the courts. Because you have the court decision, the Supreme Court decision in 2013 that eliminated preclearance requirements on states that had an obvious pattern of racist negation of black voters or other, quote, minority voters. That was the Shelby decision. Preclearance was fundamental, existential to the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And then the Supreme Court ruled in Citizens United. Let's talk about those two cases, Greg Palast, Shelby and Citizens United. Again, most people don't pay attention. If you're not a lawyer, you don't speak legalese. It seems like beyond your reach, it's complicated. There's a lot of technical issues. Help break this down for people watching about why these two decisions were so crucial. Well, uh, let's start with Shelby 2013. We use this fancy term in in law in the Voting Rights Act of 1965 called preclearance. All preclearance means is that if you're going to try to pull off some changes in your voting structure that is going to shaft people of color or women or American natives or people from Puerto Rico, then you're going to have to get the Justice Department approval and you're going to have to certify in writing under penalty of perjury that this is not going to unfairly discriminate against voters of color or people with who don't speak English as a first language. So what you have to do is all you had to do under that law was just say, we're making a change. Okay, we're going to start purging our voter rolls. Oh, that doesn't affect black people. Well, if it does, they're going to stop it. So for example, in the case of Shelby County itself, the court admitted that this would not pass preclearance. What Shelby did was black people had won seats on their county board. Shelby then changed its system where, because it had a slight white minority, that to eliminate the black members on their board, they eliminated districts and made all city council people or all county supervisors will be chosen by the general public. 
And that meant that the white people would stay in charge and you would literally, literally eliminate the black people from the county board. And the Supreme Court said, you know, that would not pass our preclearance test. But they said, but in general, we're going to get rid of preclearance. You no longer have to certify that you're not shafting black people because they ruled, and this is a quote, Jim Crow has been eradicated. That's a quote from the Shelby decision, which was 5-4. Now, so that opened the floodgates because that said, we no longer have to look. You no longer have to tell us changes you're making in voter laws. That's very important because what used to happen is that preclearance was basically notification. And groups like, you know, whether it's New Georgia Project here in Atlanta or the ACLU or the NAACP, Rainbow Push, they would get notice. And therefore, they could then say, hey, come on, you're eliminating every black voter on your county board. I think that that's discrimination. That would not have passed. So this was like, we can get away with just about anything. And then the court, you know, remember, it wasn't just 2013. Obviously, Bush v. Gore in 2000. And then, but also in 2008, when the Supreme Court again ruled 5-4 that you could require Indiana was the state, the state case, Indiana could require that every single voter show a photo, a current photo voter government ID that was current. And you know who brought that case against the state of Indiana said it was discriminatory? Ten nuns. Ten nuns were barred from voting in Indiana because, by the way, they did have driver's licenses, but they're all in their 80s and 90s, so they let their driver's licenses expire. Now, the nuns hadn't expired, but they weren't going to let them vote. They said, oh, because these could be fraudulent voters. I didn't know a driving test was a citizenship requirement, but literally the Indiana decision of 2008, the ID law, again, also opened up the floodgates. And, and I see you're showing the long, long lines in Ohio from one of my other films, these massive lines caused by this type of chicanery where, for example, they cut the number of voting stations in black areas. And you see, looking at a, a polling station in Dayton right now, where there's lines and lines of people, mostly of color. And then after I took that picture of the long lines, it was a five-hour wait to vote in an African-American area of Dayton. I then went off to a white suburb of Toledo to see how long the lines were there. You know how long the lines were? There were no lines. There was a little line of voting officials waiting for voters where you got coffee and cookies if you came to vote, there were no coffee and cookies for the black voters waiting five hours. By the way, that's an outdoor garage in November in Ohio. It was freezing. And they're waiting five hours in that garage. White people went right in, got their coffee and cookies and voted like that. That's what's now allowed. That's what's now allowed. And that has a huge effect on the outcomes. We have something like seven seven gubernatorial and probably even more, seven gubernatorial and senatorial races this week, which will be decided by less than 1%. And I can tell you all seven of those races would be, have a very different outcome if we didn't have these types of restrictions on voting. And it's racial, but it's partisan. Greg, in our last few minutes, let me go to Citizens United. You talk about that too in your movie, Vigilante. Again, the impact on so-called democracy, and I'm using the word so-called, I can't think about 
the democratic system without putting the words so-called or using air quotes or something because, yes, people are voting. Yes, there is a, a form of democracy. It's a kind of a tortured form. It's becoming more tortured. And people are being arrested because Governor DeSantis is having show trials to sort of intimidate mainly black voters. But let's just talk again about Citizens United and what that court decision said and what its impact has been again on how it skews election outcomes. Well, they're saying Citizens United says that corporations, corporations can make unlimited donations to candidates because they are claiming that under the 14th Amendment, which was passed after 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War to end slavery and to bring citizenship rights to black people. That's really what that war was about. 600,000 Americans died to bring those rights to all Americans. And they created the 14th Amendment, which said that there shall be no discrimination against any citizen. And they decided in Citizens United, Citizens United is not a, a citizen, it's a corporation. It was, in that case, a political operation. And they said, well, corporations have all the rights of any other citizen, except for one thing. I didn't know of any corporation that lost its legs in Vietnam. I didn't know of any corporation that got shot in Afghanistan. This is one of the issues. So they decide corporations are people. But what happens is, well, what's the next thing? With our Supreme Court, I wouldn't be surprised if they said every corporation gets a vote. Because that's what they're really saying. They're letting dollars vote. Now, real people, people, citizens, not fictional corporate citizens. It's interesting. You as an individual citizen cannot donate, for example, more than I think it's $2,000. Watch, someone's going to say it. I got the number wrong. About $2,000 to a presidential campaign. But you as a, if you're not a flesh and blood citizen, if you're a corporate creation, if you're a corporate Frankenstein, you can set up a uh, corporation, 25 corporations. Now you get 50,000 and get unlimited amount of spending into political campaigns. So you actually have more rights as a corporation than you do as a human being. I like your term. I'm going to steal it from you. The tortured democracy, because that's what it is. We do have a democracy in America. I'm actually quite proud of it. I've lived around the world and I'm very proud of American democracy, but it is being tortured. It's in a cage and pulled out and tortured with these horrible cuts, these slashes, these endless cuts to our ability to act as citizens. So you have to, black soldiers, you have to fly 2,500 miles. You have to wait in line in the freezing cold for five hours. If you elect officials to your county board, you're gonna, those black officials be removed under some trickery of gerrymandering or eliminating county lines, et cetera. So American democracy, I think you're correct. We have it but it's being tortured. And it's our job to expose it and correct it. You know, so we gotta be kind of, as journalists, we're kind of doctors. We have to diagnose the problem and so it can be solved and cured. All right, Greg Palast, we're gonna encourage everyone to watch your latest movie, Vigilante. We'll put that in the description of the show. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate that we've had this opportunity. Yes, go watch the movie at vigilantemovie.com. It's free right now for a couple of days. Otherwise, go to gregpalace.com. And now that there's a, a, a runoff in Georgia, we'll see if the torture ends and the people are allowed to make the choice. I'm not telling you to vote for Senate in Georgia or anywhere else. I just think that the people, not Jim Crow, 
should make that decision. So I'll see you at gregpalace.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.